Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Margo Del Judas Calamo to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So Margo, go ahead and tell us a little bit about how you became a librarian and what that background was like. Sure. Um, So I'll get into the requirements to be a school librarian in New York State in uh, just a little bit, but I can tell you from me personally, I began my career in 2002. I was uh, fresh out of a communications degree from Fairfield University and kind of unsure what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I wound up at the DLIS program at St. John's University. And what was so great about that was Um, I worked there as a grad assistant, so I worked about 12 hours a week for the head of the department, and I got to go to school essentially for free and received a small stipend, so it was wonderful, and one of the first things she tasked me with was designing their webpage. This was, like I said, 2002, HTML. Mm -hmm. I had to teach myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember checking out books from the library, but it really was a wonderful experience. And because I was able to go full-time to graduate school in 2004, I graduated with my public library certification, but also with my school library certification. Okay. And real quick, what is the D? I'm not familiar with a D-L-I-S. Oh, I'm sorry. They just call it the Department of Library and Information (laughs) Services. And it's just ingrained in me at this point. (laughs) I was like, okay, maybe it means distance. I'm not sure. (laughs) No problem. No problem. All right. So what what else about those... um, your beginning. Is there anything else you want to share? Sure. So from there, um, I started out as a library trainee in a public library while simultaneously doing some leave replacements in school libraries. So I really have worked the K through 12 spectrum. I started out in a K through five elementary school, then moved on to the middle school where I actually attended myself when I was younger. (laughs) Um, And then in 2009, I kind of moved on to Garden City High School where I am right now. And I always knew I wanted to work with older students. That job opportunity just happened to come at the same time I was asked to be a professor of academic writing and research at St. Joseph's College. So the two dovetailed nicely, though, because I was able to show my high school students what would be expected of them in a collegiate setting. I can tell you that um, from there, I moved on to author a book with uh, Rose Luna. We were co-authors on that. We've written numerous chapters and books together. I've been published in a lot of journals and spoken at multiple local, state, and uh, national conferences. Okay. And is there a certain topic that most of your writings center around? Advocacy. That's really my passion. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, you mentioned you tell us about how to become a school librarian in in New York. So... Lay that out for us. Sure. So um, the process has changed from when I received my certification, but really what you need is a master's degree from an accredited library science program. Um, I had to take 12 classes in the educational field. Mm -hmm. And now uh, this is something new. Prospective librarians must obtain 500 observational hours K through 12. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> it, it ends with a student teaching experience for a semester in a school library. Um, after that, <laughs> after you pass all your exams, 
the candidates then have to complete something called EdTP, um, EdTPA. Okay. And what that is, is you record yourself same class over the process of two days and you send that recording off to the state to kind of be uh, judged by somebody there and that's kind of the final step in the certification process that is intense <laughs> it's very intense i've had a student teacher go through it um it, it was quite nerve-wracking for her but i i do think it it prepares you um for the rigors of being a school librarian in any setting definitely and I, you know while the 500 hours is a lot I also appreciate that, like in my state, um, you have to have taught for two years, you know, so you've accumulated a ton of hours, you know, in the classroom. But if you don't come from that background, I could see where the, a large number of hours like that would really be beneficial um, to letting you see that the librarian is teaching, you know, <laughs> absolutely part of this education setting here. So that's good. All right. So you you had a, um, a unique route, you know, of getting into the library world and, and then stepping in and how fun that would have been also to be at your own uh, junior high or middle school. That would be a fun experience. Um, one where I last taught my principal and assistant principal had also grown up as students in those schools so that their stories were just wonderful to hear. So I, I'm, I'm sure you've got some similar experiences like that. But anyway, tell, tell, tell me what was it like in those early years? What do you remember from those beginning times? Well, I think like all um, media specialists that are starting out, I was so nervous, but I was also so excited. I was just bursting with ideas. Um, I wanted to do everything and I wanted to do it right away. Yeah. Um, I, I've learned to temper my enthusiasm, but in a good way, because I think my enthusiasm did catch the eye of teachers and administrators early on. Um, I always had lines of teachers coming up to collaborate with me. <laughs> Uh, wanting to reaching out and, and seeing my eagerness saying, oh, you know, when a science teacher once said to me, I always wanted to do a science fair at this level, but I never felt like I had a partner. Was that something you'd be interested in? Sure, absolutely. Let's, <laughs> let's try this, you know, let's do this. And um, I think that after a while, word began to spread that I was open and willing to collaborate. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and so when you when you're also thinking back to that time, is there anything somebody could have told you that would have made things a little easier for you? Yes, two things. Okay. Um, when you first get started, kind of leave your personal baggage at the door, discuss the weather. That's one of the best things you can do. Okay. Don't get caught up in. I think you're in an. Um, unique position as a school librarian because you really are working with every department in the school yeah. and every department is going to have their little drama every grade yeah. level don't get involved in that leave that check that at the door and the second thing i would say is always let your principal know first this is the good and the bad um, i always approach my principal as a team if there's a problem which there have been many over the years if i'm going to approach him or her about it i also come at it through the lens of this is the problem but these are my solutions good point yeah our administrators, they hear complaints every day. So even the smallest bit of good news, like an email on a Friday afternoon, like, hey, the makerspace was packed today. Look at what the students are building or creating. That can shift yeah. their, his or her entire perspective. Yeah. That's good. And that, that does give them good things to keep in their mind, because otherwise they might not hear anything, you know, about what's going on. Um, so, and they might remember the bad. So. Exactly. <laughs> so fill them up with the good things. That's good. Very good point. So the, the pandemic we've been through, you know, over the this last 18 months or so have, have really highlighted our profession overall, but how would you say that the pandemic has changed you professionally? 
Well, I think the pandemic has thrust me into more of a dual role of school librarian that is focused on reading literacy, digital literacy, media literacy, but also now more of a technology. Um, I won't use the word staff developer, but someone that is very focused on assisting teachers with technology professional development. Mm -hmm. um, it thrust me into this dual role, and I recognized that I was still able to offer quality instruction to my students, but also support teachers even further. And the little hacks that I was helping them with, be it Edpuzzle or Google Classroom or Screencastify, I was able to apply those to my school library. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell a teacher that you should set up a Bitmoji classroom if I'm not doing it myself. Mm -hmm. So I got to practice all of these things that made the virtual slash hybrid setup so much easier. Um, and I think more effective for our students as well. Yeah, good point. Good point. Beth. So when you think about like your the influence that you um, had prior to the pandemic, like the the impact or the ways that you were working with them, um, was, is there anything else that you would say how that has changed? I always offered professional development to the teachers, but now I was being approached actually from central administration on down, from the superintendent on down to offer professional development to administrators as well, wow, because okay. for many of them, this was something new. Um, they had known all the buzzwords and a lot of them were using the technology, but some weren't. So mm -hmm. um, in July of 2020, I'm sorry, in July of 2020, my superintendent asked me, along with other members of our district uh, tech team, to present at their annual administrative retreat and yeah. focus specifically on how principals could better utilize technology to support their teachers and the students in their school. I love that. That is so awesome that they saw that as a strength, you know, that y'all had and, and allowed you to bring that forward to them. Um, and and anytime you can get administrators to see the importance of the school library as well. So I didn't approach it just from the technology angle and, you know, this is Google Classroom or here's how you make a Bitmoji library. It was more also like, and this is what we have to offer in the library. And I'm able to do this, but also still support my students by doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. How awesome. That would be neat if, if I hope they think of y'all for this coming fall, you know, that they would invite you back, you know, to do some things. Even oh, we're already on it. Are you? Good. That's good <laughs> that, that that doesn't go away because that would be one of those practices, pandemic practices, you know, that we want to continue um, with. So awesome. Kudos to y'all um, for doing that. Um, so you mentioned advocacy, that, that that's like your big thing. So talk a little bit about how um, that's a passion of yours. And I noticed it right away. Um, unfortunately, over the years, I've always been, I said I've worked the K through 12 spectrum, and I've always seen um, situations where librarians maybe were not valued or administration did not know exactly what was happening in the library. Perhaps he or she had a preconceived notion and just went with that. So what I realized was that um, you really have to speak up and advocate for yourself. Uh, Rose Luna and I mentioned, we wrote a book called Make a Big Impact at Your School Board Meeting, uh, published with um, ABC Clio. And we have a chapter in there called Be Your Own PR Machine. 
So it could be, you know, we have a PR person in our district, that person is swamped and overwhelmed. So that means it could be as simple as me speaking up at a faculty meeting, letting my, my uh, teachers know about the resources that are available. My first faculty meeting in 2009, back at this new job, I asked my principal if I could speak. And I think she was a little taken aback, like, sure. Okay. I was so nervous, you know, the butterflies in my stomach, my legs felt like jelly, but I, I did feel like I had set the tone and the precedent that I'm here. The school library is the hub. It's the gem now of my school and districts. And my students really are the ones that are going to reap the rewards from speaking up. They're the ones that um, I can advocate for to get that new maker space, which was funded in part by a grant from the PTA because of that relationship that I had formed. Mm -hmm. So if all of this sounds too overwhelming and maybe you're not ready to speak up at that faculty meeting, maybe you send out the good news Friday email like I had spoken about. Or if you can't do a monthly newsletter, you could always do a quarterly one. Mm -hmm. um, Contact, you can always contact the head of the PTA with your principal's permission. So there's many, many things that can be done. Mm -hmm. And as someone that worked in a public library, I would always say, don't overlook that symbiotic relationship. That was one of the first things I did in this position was send an email to the young adult librarian and ask her how we could work together for both of our benefits. Okay. And as I'm listening to you talk, you know, you're talking about advocacy, I'm hearing you focus on students. And I love that because sometimes I'll hear people talk about advocacy, but they're just saying, this is the value of librarians. This is what we do, this, you know, and yes, that's important, but I think that comes across when we're focusing on students, you know, like focus on the students and then you can say, fit in something about, you know, the role of the librarian, but I love that your focus is on, on the students. Um, because that's what the principles are all about. <laughs> exactly. And the more that I think I do to advocate, not necessarily for myself, but for my library program, the more the students will reap those benefits. Exactly. All right. Okay. So for the listeners of this podcast, many of them are early career librarians. What would you say are some of the first steps for them? Uh, start with that basic introductory email. Start with maybe if you're on a Future Ready Librarians Facebook page, you're going to see right now lots of people posting their um, kind of back to school, how they're reaching out to faculty. Mm -hmm. um, I have my librarian services menu, super easy to make in Canva. Um, shout out to uh, librarian Tiff. So Tiffany Whitehead, I got the idea from her. And um, you could do something like that where you make your library services menu. Maybe you don't know how to print it up or you don't have access to a color printer. I've gone QR codes with everything now. So, you know, little business cards with link to my Bitmoji library, my Canva library. There are lots of great ideas. Even if I, I've kind of shied away from the food, in the midst of COVID, but some people have done let the library be your lifesaver and, you know, lifesavers are pretty easy. Yeah. So I think the first thing to do, especially at this back to school time is, is make yourself known okay. to your faculty and start to form those relationships, build the foundation. And maybe down the line, you're hosting a sip and see in your library when you get new books in. And um, maybe instead of having food available, you're having artwork that the students had made in the makerspace up for them to look at. So it's these little small steps incrementally building up to these lifelong collaborations. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned library services menu. So in case someone's not familiar with that, if they're really new, describe, and maybe if you have a sample, we can include a link, you know, in the show notes, but sure. um, describe what that looks like or, or what, what you're showing on that. 
you're essentially taking all that you do in the library and turning it into a menu like you would read if you were in a restaurant. And we all know nowadays you're going to restaurants and, you know, using your QR, your camera on your phone to open it up through a QR code. So it would be something like starters or appetizers. And maybe that is um, information, information literacy, media and digital literacy, maybe. And then you're moving on to your main courses, which could be reader's advisory, book talks. Um, your desserts might be makerspace lessons, green screen, um, things along those lines. And Canva, which is a tool, I mean, it doesn't even have to be Canva, it could easily be done in Google Slides, but you have so many of these tools out there to make it easy for you to create an aesthetically pleasing product and then just transform it into a QR code to share with your faculty. And in case surely they've heard of Canva, but just in case not, it's canva.com. It is a free account. And I know they used to give educators, you know, their, was it called a professional? They do. You just have to upload proof that you're a practicing educator. So for me, it was just, uh, you know, scanning my school ID. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, it's so easy because like you mentioned, it's templates and then you just drag and drop other pictures in or other fonts or wording in and just edit that um, and make it customized for you. So that's very good. Okay, so um, now you also had mentioned um, reaching out a little bit like PTA and your public libraries or anything else that new people could think about with that? Um, I would definitely say, again, get your principal's permission first, but um, I would just send an email maybe to the head of the PTA, just introducing yourself. Perhaps they would like a copy of your, uh, perhaps he or she would like a copy of the services menu as well. And the public library, um, I sent an email and then I followed up by stopping by in person. One day, you know, I always take advantage of the resources that are available. Uh, sometimes I need a book that we don't have in my library and I need to get it from there. And I like to talk about um, services that we can share or promote like the Sora app where students can have a school library added, but then add a public library as well. Yeah. So those could be talking points to get you started. If you just feel uncomfortable, you know, putting yourself out there and saying, hi, yeah. <laughs> you could have these, these talking points to look at. And then I would recommend um, S'more as well for newsletters uh, or Wakelet. Wakelet is going to be entirely free. I've used both to create um, monthly or quarterly newsletters. S'more, I believe you get three for free and then they um, want you to sign up through a purchase order or a credit card. But a little trick there is you could keep switching email addresses <laughs> to get more out of that. <laughs> but Wakelet works just as well. Um, Christina Holzweiss has some great ideas about how to use Wakelet to create newsletters. And I, that's actually the medium that I chose to use this year. Okay. okay. And I will link to Christina's, um, like her hacking school, mm -hmm. is it on her hacking school library's Facebook page. Is that where you should, should be? Yes. That? Yeah. So I will link to that too, for people. Um, and I'm just curious, since do you do anything with your public library, like get a public library card for all of your students? How does that work where you are? Or is that a focus? So what was really cool was when I, um, that middle school job that I had spoken about earlier, all of the teachers in the district actually on, um, during your new teacher orientation, were taken to the public library, given a tour and given us a, a library card. Oh, wow. um, that, that I thought was amazing. My current district does not do that, but um, pre-COVID, 
the young adult librarian would come to my library every month. She'd set up um, a spot where students could check out books from the public library if they wanted to. She yeah. had volunteer opportunities. We have a lot of students that need volunteer hours either for honor society or participation in government. So that was um, an, a possibility. And then her programming options as well. She couldn't issue the library card, but she was able to give them an application, okay. which was super helpful. Yeah. And then September is the the National Library Card Month. Um, so that would be a, a really good time maybe to start thinking about reaching out in August or so or beginning of September so that you can do something um, with the public library during that time. It'd be a really fun time to, to offer that for families to get library cards or your, or your kiddos. That'd be good. And, you know, not to sound too, too much again, I always come back to the be your own PR machine, that would be something that I would write a little blurb up that there was this collaboration that was established, students were, um, you know, getting gaining access to the public library and send that off to my PR person, maybe with pictures. Yeah. So maybe it could make the local newspaper or even just the school district website. Yeah. And those kind of things, it's so funny. I've been on different um, state awards and also national um, AASL award groups and things like that. Um, just how you're advocating for your students or advocating for reading and doing creative things. They want to work awards, you know, and some of them even have a monetary award besides just a paper certificate, you know, but, <laughs> but um, just little things like that where you're building those connections can really take you far. So keep doing those kind of things. Awesome. Yes. All right, so Margo, um, you, you mentioned, I mean, you write, you're doing all kinds of awesome things. Where do you get your inspiration from? How do you keep learning and growing? Um, I am inspired by the TL chat community, really. I mean, I think the most important person in the room is the room. So there's so much that I can learn from my colleagues. Um, I have attended every AASL conference since uh, 2007, where I actually got to present for the first time, um, but also state and local conferences as well. I think my local colleagues are doing so much that I can learn from. And I always feel that Twitter has been an important part of my professional development since I joined in 2012. And in this COVID era, it's taken on a whole new meaning to be able to follow hashtag TL chat or hashtag EdTech chat or the conference hashtags for the virtual conferences. Yeah. Those have been so important. Yeah. And, you know, I'll throw something in there too. I'll, I'll add in the show notes, because if you're new, you may not be that familiar with Twitter. I do have some little how-to things to understand, like, what does that hashtag mean? <laughs> <You know? laughs> how, how do I search and find things? So I, I will link to that also in the show notes. So people who are wanting to start getting a little bit of help in, with Twitter, um, we've got some steps to help them get started with that. So, And, you know, maybe you can't make it to AASL this year, but you can find a local ed camp that's happening. Um, to, to mention Christina, again, she had done the um, ed camp, Cardigan camp, last February. That was virtual. And uh, my colleague Rose and I presented at that. So see just kind of what's out there. And you don't have to dive right into a national conference. Maybe start local and work your way up. Yeah. And then uh, Christine is actually going to be doing the Ed, Cat, Ed Camp, Cardigan Camp again, November 13th. So that will be one uh, to start following, looking for um, on Twitter and on Facebook. And, and it's free, you know, for people who are listening, it'll be free and you'll sign up and there'll just be links to live presentations, recorded presentations, all kinds of things that they can do like over a 24 hour period. So it'd be a very inspirational yes. <laughs> time to learn. Yeah. And get new ideas. 
a tools that you might have known about, but you had never thought about using it, you know, in this way before. So that's very good. All right. So Margo, where will, can our listeners find you online so they can learn from you and keep following what you're doing? I would definitely say Twitter is where um, during the school year I'm posting multiple times a day, just what's happening in my library. Um, anytime I create a new resource for a lesson or I'm doing some sort of activity with the students, I'm posting it. So you could find me on Twitter. I'm metadata chick. So, you know, mm-hmm. the type of metadata <laughs> and then chick. So I'm sure um, if you we can have that available for you in the show notes. Um, I'm also metadata chick at gmail.com. If you ever want to email me, I do use Instagram, but I keep that more, a little bit more private right now. Um, Pick photos of my son, my family. Um, Twitter is really where my administrators are. It's where my parents are. It's where my PTA is. So that's kind of the medium that I'm using for all of my professional work. Okay. Very awesome. And so, do you talk about like your school in particular, or you're just really sharing about library stuff overall? Uh, both, but if I'm if I'm ever posting what I'm doing at school, which like I said, I try to do many times a day, I'm tagging my high school okay. and um, tagging other teachers, parents, um, things like things along those lines. Okay, great. Well, it's been awesome hearing your story and, and learning. I, I like your advocacy tips. They're very practical, very simple ways um, just to step in and just get started with it all. So thanks for sharing. And I look forward to um, having maybe your your menu that we can share with them. Um, That'd be awesome, inspirational piece that people can have as they're getting ready to start thinking about going back to to work again. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you have a great day and I I look forward to talking to you possibly another time. Thank you. Bye.